unlocking true happiness with venerable Tenzin Choki. Welcome to Unlocking True Happiness. I'm Venerable Tenzin Choki, a monastic practicing in the Tibetan tradition. Each episode of Unlocking True Happiness will explore the Buddhist teachings as they're applied in our daily lives to deepen our experience of genuine well-being. Topics combine ideas from Buddhism with those from the fields of positive psychology, Western philosophy, and current events. So today what I wanted to talk about, what was really coming up for me, um, is the Buddhist practice of patience, what we often call patience. And Another translation of the word as it shows up in the Buddhist text, in addition to patience, we sometimes talk about forbearance or tolerance. And so I wanted to talk about what this quality is and a little bit about the advice from the traditional Buddhist text about how to generate this quality. It shows up in terms of what we call the six perfections, which may be a teaching in Buddhism that many of you are familiar with. We talk about these six perfections or six practices of a bodhisattva, of a being who's aspiring for full enlightenment for the benefit of all. And these are the main six practices we talk about. The first one, giving or generosity, and this can include giving or generosity of material things, also of teaching, some kind of dharma teachings. It can include generosity of what we call fearlessness or protection. So it doesn't only mean generosity in terms of material things. And then ethics, an ethical way of life on the basis of non-harming. This is a real important practice of people on the bodhisattva path. And then this patience or forbearance is usually mentioned as the third of these six practices. So we're going to delve into what that means. Enthusiasm or joyous, sometimes translated as joyous effort. And that's actually going to be the topic of the radio show. Patrick interviewed me. And on Sunday, I think it's this coming Sunday, we'll have an episode all about enthusiasm, which is defined as taking delight in doing virtuous things. So it's being energized and happy when you're actually doing positive things. And then concentration, developing single-pointed focus, which we then apply to getting insights into the nature of reality, which is the wisdom piece. So as we can see from these six Two of the only two of them are done pretty much exclusively on the meditation cushion, the development of concentration and wisdom. And then the other three or four, enthusiasm kind of applies to both our practice on the cushion and off the cushion, but especially giving generosity, ethics, and patience are done in relation to others. So these are, you know, mostly off the cushion practices. So sometimes when people say, oh, Buddhists just meditate all the time, 
you know, that's part of the practice, but a lot of the practice is relational, and especially these first three. And so when we talk about patience or forbearance, we talk about it in relation to three aspects. And so in the traditional Buddhist text, talking about the six perfections, we say there's three kinds of patience, not getting angry and retaliating. So one aspect is even when it seems justified, right? Even when it seems justified to retaliate, somebody's criticized you, someone's harmed you, someone's even, you know, physically assaulted you. You just don't retaliate and return harm for harm. So this says you don't do the eye for an eye thing, right? Which we have, you know, in in the Hebrew Bible, I think an eye for an eye. I think that's the source of that one. So not getting angry and retaliating to harm. Bearing hardship. And this just means putting up with patience and forbearance with the fact that things don't always go our way. You know, sometimes things are hard and we're not in control. And instead of freaking out when we experience hardship or things are kind of challenging, we try to put up with it. It doesn't mean we don't try and change it, but it's being clear about what we can change and what we can't change. And just, you know, kind of putting up with it. When I used to teach a lot, when I was in teaching in India and Nepal and these Buddhist centers, and I would go, you know, don't freak out when you run out of hot water, because there was always like one very small water tank and a hundred students in the retreat center trying to take a shower, you know? So it was kind of like, okay, things don't always work out. There's ups and downs, not being so thrown off by the ups and downs of life, bearing hardship. And then the third one, putting effort into meaningful pursuits. So this means, you know, our meditation practice, our spiritual practice, it takes a while to bear fruit. And so this part says, we're just kind of have forbearance for that. Our minds don't change overnight. We might be practicing for a while. We might be trying to become more generous and kind and compassionate. And then we'll just have a moment where we just feel so petty and not, you know, just kind of putting up with the fact that things change slowly and, and having the kind of patience with that. So these are the three traditional kind of explanations of what this patience or forbearance means. And of course, the opposite is impatience. And so when we think of impatience, we think of, you know, impatience interpreting circumstances as being hindered or mistreated. So you feel frustrated, you feel let down, you feel annoyed. You have this feeling of insistence like this has to change, right? So impatience with other people implies criticism and irritation. Impatience is dissatisfaction and irritation with the way things are, right? So the opposite of patience being impatient. So this gives us, even looking at impatience, gives us more of a flavor of what it is that we're trying to develop. The opposite of this feeling of, oh my God, this is so annoying. If only they do things the way they should. And this is just awful and I can't stand it and I've got to do something and this has to change and I'm so frustrated, right? So this is the kind of impatience that we can feel. And so patience is the opposite of that. And so, 
you know, it's not kind of a lightweight, superficial quality. Sometimes we think of patience and it sounds kind of wimpy, doesn't it? It's like, oh, that's like patience. Well, how come that makes the list of six? That just feels kind of wimpy and lightweight. But actually, when you think about it, wow, it's a really, really advanced, nuanced practice to really get it right. And you know, forbearance might even give a little bit more of the flavor. Because sometimes when you think of patients, we think of like a waiting for the bus when it's 10 minutes late or something. And that's not what we're talking about. It is more of the flavor of forbearance. So impatience, when we think about impatience, some of the some of the writing around impatience, Rick Hansen says. Impatience combines all three ingredients of toxic stress. So he talks about toxic stress involving unpleasant experiences, a feeling of pressure or urgency, and a lack of control, right? So all three of those things are present when we're feeling impatient. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about patience and impatience today is because it seems like just about every conversation I have with anyone these days, they're expressing impatience at something to do with what's going on these days, all the things, right? Politics, masking, not masking, vaxxing, not vasking, vaxxing, <laughs> vasking, vaxxing, you know, um, School, not school, in person, not in person, you know, climate crisis, like everything that's going on. And it's just people are experiencing, yeah, toxic stress, all of the definition of toxic stress, unpleasant experiences, pressure, or urgency, and lack of control. Doesn't that pretty much define a lot of what we're experiencing in all of these different realms? So it feels like people are just having this kind of low grade or sometimes high grade kind of consistent feeling of impatience, you know, and it might be with this still with the restrictions of our, you know, what we're allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do still, or fears that we have, which restrict our emotions, we're not able to, or don't feel confident to do things like travel, vacation, all of that thing, right? So whether it's around people or just around our situation, it just feels like there's a lot of like breeding ground for just this kind of low level, constant impatience. I know I feel it a lot, you know, it's just like, oh, not another thing, you know, and then you just kind of get tipped over the edge. Like we're already at kind of this high threshold. So it doesn't take much to get us over the edge into, you know, some kind of feeling of like, you know, subjective feeling of irritation, maybe even anger, you know, it might even kind of boil over to that level of, of uh, impatience, which is actually anger in addition to just kind of the irritation and frustration. And so, you know, patience, like I say, it's not this like lightweight, wimpy thing. It actually embodies a really deep insight into the nature of things. When we develop patience, we're understanding that things are messy, they're intertwining, there's so many different aspects to any given situation, 
They're actually imperfectible. They're not really about you or in your control. So it's got this wonderful kind of insight into the nature of reality really built into patients. It's not being complacent, right? It's not being a doormat. It's not just saying, oh, whatever, there's nothing I can do. It's just recognizing you know, in, in this beautiful book, The Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life by Master Shantideva, this eighth century Buddhist master, the longest chapter in that whole text is on patience, right? And the, as especially as the antidote to anger, just because there's so much richness within this practice of patience. In the very beginning of that chapter, Master Shantideva talks about kind of what gives rise to anger. And he says, having found its fuel in mental unhappiness in the doing of what I do not wish for and in the hindering of what I wish for, anger develops and then destroys me, right? So our impatience and our anger are, you know, kind of are generated by the doing what we don't want to do and not being able to do what we want to do, right? And that's kind of the recipe for impatience, frustration, irritation. We're hindered. And actually in Western psychology, when I teach the cultivating emotional balance, we say the theme of anger is wishing to remove an obstacle that hinders you. So we're hindered somehow in our pursuit of happiness. And that's the recipe for the whole anger family of emotions, which includes impatience, irritation, and you know, frustration, all of it kind of in the anger family. And so some of the recommendations from the same text, Master Shanti Davis says, and His Holiness, the Dalai Lama quotes this verse all the time. And he says, why be happy about something if it can be remedied? And what's the use of being unhappy about something if it cannot be remedied? So this says, let's analyze. Is there something in our control? If so, fix it. That's all. If it's not within our control or if it can't be remedied, why get all upset about it? Just let it go. So this is kind of the basic like, kind of insight that gives rise to patience is, hey, yeah, life is messy. Life is unpredictable. Very little, to be honest, is completely within our control. So we just have to determine what is and what isn't. And I find myself and, you know, many people I talk to spinning out and just spending so much mental energy freaking out about things that are absolute, like the behavior of other people that is absolutely outside of their, you know, and then it just pushes every last button over and over and over again, because like I said, we're already at this sort of hyper activated state. And then so much complaining and talking and, you know, about what's completely outside of our control. And putting energy into how to remedy the things that we can remedy. And even for these big issues, you know, even these big overwhelming issues, like I think of climate change and I go, okay, there are things we can do, but just freaking out about it 
And obsessing and ruminating isn't really going to be helpful. So follow his holiness advice, Master Shanti Davis advice. What can be remedied? Like, is there something that we can do? And then actually we have a feeling of agency and accomplishment and that we're actually, which feels good and is very resourcing for us. Instead of just being overwhelmed and flooded by the big picture of some of these big problems, you know, pick something small where you can make a difference and engage in that. So it's not just saying, oh, something's so big, there's nothing I can do, I just let go of it. But, you know, break it into kind of a bite-sized piece, even for these big things, so that we have a feeling of agency and accomplishment, and then just letting go of the aspects. We can't change other people's minds about very much at all. I mean, honestly, if you think of your whole life and every time you tried to convince somebody of something they didn't believe, how'd that work out for you? How many times? Like twice when somebody actually asked for your advice and all the rest of the hundreds of times probably didn't work out so great. So this is saying, just forget it. You know, just forget about trying to change the things that we have no control over. Just really looking at what we do have some agency and some control over and then and then let go of the rest you know and then his holiness says this is a way to maintain our joy not get upset and not feel so stuck because of course when our we spin our wheels like that and we're just angry all the time that's a total recipe for burnout and complete disengagement right and then we just withdraw just due to overwhelm and burnout so that's not that's not very productive either. And, you know, in terms of this attitude, Master Shanti Davis says another thing that's so important. He says, all mental attitudes are habits that come from practice. And in another verse, he says, there is nothing whatsoever that's not made easier through acquaintance. So through becoming acquainted, acquainted with small harms, I will become patient with great harms, right? So we start small and that's what we always do in our practice. We don't think of the biggest, most irritating thing that just drives us crazy and start with that. Start with small things and then try and develop this attitude of patience or forbearance with the smaller things. And then over time, we'll be able to be patient even with the bigger things to evaluate, to keep that thinking brain online so that we can actually decide what can we do. Because if we get flooded with emotion when we're angry, our frontal cortex is not online at all. You can't act effectively at all, right? Just in terms of neuroscience, your amygdala is out of control, you know, fight, flight, freeze, and there's no way to actually act effectively. So part of what this practice says is it keeps us regulated emotionally in the face of these stressors so that we can act effectively, you know, so instead of being kind of a doormat and rolling over and saying, there's nothing I can do, it actually enables us to stay more present you know, with our cognitive abilities intact so that we're able to respond to the situation, you know, and it doesn't mean not doing anything. It doesn't mean being passive because sometimes patience makes us think that too, but it means how do we respond to the fact that life really is messy 
and out of control. And then he also says, Master Shanti Deva again later in the chapter says we should be really grateful to these annoying people because they're the cause of our practice of patience. And he says, just like a beggar is the cause for our practice of generosity. If we didn't have the somebody to be generous to, we couldn't practice patience. Now this is hard, but eventually we can even be grateful. So he says, just like a treasure appearing in my house idly without me accomplishing it, I should be happy with the enemy because he assists me in my deeds of enlightenment. Wow, that's tough. He says, because I am able to practice this patience, he, the enemy, is worthy of being the very first to be given the fruit of my patience, for in this way, he is the cause of it right? So eventually, and that's where these practices of Lojong or thought transformation come in. And a lot of you are familiar with this practice. And we have these eight verses at Land of Medicine Buddha, and we've done, you know, studies on the eight verses. It's flipping the script so much, just going, I'll be grateful to this person who's annoying, because without that, like, I don't see my edge. There's a story, I think it's a Tibetan story of this there's this this amazing Zapatro Rinpoche was this amazing like wandering yogi, and they say that once he you know he heard that there was this yogi meditating in a cave in the mountains in Tibet you know this like accomplished yogi, so he goes up there to the cave right and he kind of like crashes into the cave and like totally disturbs this guy's meditation and you know and the yogi's like who are you what are you doing here. And Zapatro Rinpoche goes, what are you doing sitting in this cold cave? And then the yogi goes, I'm meditating on the practice of patience. And then Zapatro Rinpoche says, yeah, right. We, we're just two old frauds. Like you're such a faker. And then the guy gets like totally angry because he's like, you know, proud of his practice of patience. And then Zapatro Rinpoche was like, okay. Yeah, I see how that practice is working out for you. Like you needed somebody to test you, right, in your practice. So if we don't have these experiences, we don't know. Some of you have heard me tell a story of when I remember when I was first asked by Lama Zopa Rinpoche, and this is like 30 years ago, to be the director of a, a retreat center. And I remember very naively telling his attendant, Venerable Roger Kunsang, oh, I'm sure it'll work out. Like I'll go to this place because, you know, mostly I'm friendly and people like me. And I remember Venerable Roger going, oh, that's terrible. And I was like, wait, what? Like I thought it was a good thing that you're nice and people, and he goes, well, if everybody likes you, how are you ever going to practice patience? And it just blew my mind. I was like a brand new student of Buddhism. And I was like, wait, What? That is just totally different than everything that I've ever thought, which is like, you know, and it just really pointed to my compulsive people pleasing thing of like, oh, if I'm really nice and I say and do what they want, then they'll like me. And then, you know, da 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 da. And I remember he just said, oh, that's terrible if everybody likes you. And I was just like, what are you even saying? Like, it was just, I'll never forget how it felt in that moment. And then of course, later I started studying Master Shanti Dave and I'm like, ah, got it. That's what you were talking about, 
right? So even the annoying people, like, can we be grateful? It doesn't mean it's instantly going to be pleasant for us. It doesn't mean it's not still going to be annoying or irritating, but it's showing us our attachment to things working out our way. It's showing us our attachment to being in control, right? It's showing us all of those things when we meet that edge. And of course, other people are usually where we meet the edge. So those are some of the teachings from the, the text about patience, this beautiful, beautiful, long, beautiful, beautiful chapter. That's also the chapter where Master Shanti Davis suggests in all of these circumstances, if you feel triggered for anger, and there's verse after verse where he says, just remain like a piece of wood. Like this thing happens and this person pushes this button, just remain like, he's like, just don't react. Like, even if you can't flip it and respond with compassion and kindness and all of this stuff, he goes for crying out loud, at least please just don't be stupid and react in some kind of destructive way. So he's like, just remain like a piece of wood. So that's the same chapter with all of this beautiful advice about anger and patience and impatience and frustration. So just bringing your attention to your body and settling in again, relaxing any tension or tightness that might be present. And then just turning your attention to the breath for just a few moments as a way of settling your mind, getting ready for the practice. And now taking a moment to think about a time recently when you felt impatient. Um, Draw from a memory of a specific time. It might have been impatience about a specific action or event or incident or a view or speech or behavior. Or just a moment when you felt impatient about how hard things are now maybe the continuing difficulty of managing the pandemic. I'm trying to remember a specific instance with as many details as you can, drawing from your memory. If it was an interaction with a person, just remembering what the person said or did that triggered your impatience. Or if it was a certain event, she's trying to get clarity about the details.
And as you reactivate the experience, you might feel that emotion being re-triggered a little bit and tune into how that feeling of impatience feels in your body. Is there any tightness in your body? Notice how your chest feels, your belly, your shoulders, any feelings of tightness or tingling or stress in any other parts of your body, just really tuning into the physical experience of impatience, how it feels in your body. And as you're drawing from memory and reactivating that experience, notice what thoughts are going through your mind as you remember this experience of impatience. Notice your train of thought. It might be rumination, replaying the experience over and over. It might be thoughts about how you were right in that situation, the other person was wrong, just noticing the train of thoughts as you remember this experience. And now we'll try and bring some awareness to the experience of impatience, to practice transformation of the experience. So check, is your impatience directed towards a specific person? And in that impatience, do you identify any feelings of righteousness or superiority? or condescension? And if so, notice how this feels. And can you remind yourself that there's different standards of behavior, different ways of thinking, that your way of thinking and behaving may not always be the right way in any absolute sense. Think that other people might be experiencing needs and pressures and expectations that you're unaware of. 
that they might hold a different set of values. So trying to remind yourself. There's so many other ways of thinking and doing things, other pressures, other values, other needs than your own. Can you also recognize that people might be very unaware of the impact of their actions on others? That thinking of others is a skill that can be taught and trained. And other people just might not have had the opportunity for that training or a role model or example from others about how to put themselves in the other person's shoes, have empathy and understanding of the impact of their actions on others. This might be true. And maybe the trigger for your impatience is delay or frustration or wanting things to be different than they are. And feel what that feels like in your body. And can you remind yourself that there's a lot about our circumstances that is outside of our control? Things don't always go our way. The best way to manage the impatience is to find ways of being more accepting, just really accepting what's outside of our control. And with this, trying to relax your body, come into the present moment and really open to the feeling that you're okay, even within this frustrating situation that's out of your control. 
And if your frustration comes from feeling we're wasting time before we get back to normal, try to find things that are rewarding in these situations that try our patience, maybe some hidden opportunities in addition to the missed ones, maybe the gift of slowing down and noticing what's around you. So instead of waiting in situations, can we practice being in them? To investigate, is that part of what's giving rise to your impatience? And as you practice these new ways of thinking, pay attention to your body. Does it feel different? Are there any places that feel softer, more open, more relaxed? And then in conclusion, take a moment to think about offering your patience to others as a gift and as a gift to yourself. The meditation teacher and therapist Rick Hansen says, life is like a vast landscape with both soft grass and sharp thorns. Impatience rails at the thorns Patience puts on a pair of shoes. Think of that way of offering the gift of patience to yourself, just like putting on a pair of shoes so you're not harmed by the sharp thorns. And then taking a moment to just return to the breath, feeling whatever sensations might be alive in your body, whatever thoughts might be going through your mind. And then just gently relax your posture, slowly open your eyes and come out of meditation.
Thanks for listening. Learn more about this episode and browse our episode library by visiting unlockingtruehappiness.org. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Unlocking True Happiness is produced by Matthew DeVaris, intro by Russell Taylor, and our theme music is Nightingale by Asari. Stay safe out there. See you next time.